There's been another horrible shooting, this one in San Bernardino, California. Before we discuss it, let's get a few things straight. If the killers were Islamic, it's not about Islam, but if they were Christians, it is about Christianity. If they killed to prevent abortions, we must have more abortions. If they killed to prevent freedom of speech, we must have less freedom of speech. If they were white and killed blacks, it was about race. If they were black and killed blacks, it was about poverty. If they were blacks and killed whites, it never happened because we're not going to report it. If the bad guys use guns, then good guys should not be allowed to carry guns. Only the police should be allowed to carry guns because the police are racist killers who kill innocent blacks. So they need guns. Because whoever did this killing, it proves we're racist Islamophobes who need more abortions. And if we're men, we're women. If it's true, it's false. If it's right, it's wrong. Let the conversation begin. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. So making jokes about tragedy, you know, uh, just uh, th this tragedy is still unfolding. It looks like it's an Islamic terror thing, actually, uh, but it's still a little un a little foggy, so I'll, I'll leave it alone for now. But, uh, you know, just by chance, if there is such a thing by ch as chance, two days ago, I'm watching TV and I'm kind of channel surfing, nothing's on. So I turn on Netflix and I discover this guy that I'd never heard of, Anthony Jeselnik who does this kind of uh, very dark humor. He does kind of sick jokes. I thought he was really funny. And he, one of the things, he, you know, he makes jokes about dead babies, he makes jokes about the Holocaust, he really just does this really sick humor. And one of the things he talks about is when a tragedy like this happens in San Bernardino, he immediately goes on Twitter and makes jokes about it. And so he then, he goes on to explain why he does this. So let's, let's play this. And he said, well, Anthony, the problem is, is when you make a joke on Twitter the day of a tragedy, it seems like you're making fun of the victims, and that's wrong. But that's not what I'm doing. Because you see, the day of a tragedy, victims are not on Twitter. <laughs> Am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong. The day of a tragedy, victims have got victim to do. No one has ever, no one has ever been putting on a tourniquet asking, hey, are we trending? No. This is who I'm making fun of when I make a joke on Twitter the day of a tragedy. The people who see something horrible happen in the world and they run to the internet and they run to their social media, Facebook, their Twitter, whatever they got, and they all write down the exact same thing. My thoughts and prayers. My thoughts and prayers with the people in Aurora. My thoughts and prayers with the families in Boston. Do you know what that's worth? nothing. Okay, so that's that's Anthony Jeselnik. He's very a very funny guy, but he does sick humor. So so this shooting comes off in San Bernardino, and the left, in a coordinated attack, takes to Twitter and starts condemning conservatives for sending out their thoughts and prayers. And it says, you know, oh, they're sending out their thoughts and prayers while we're doing something. We're trying to ban guns, which would do a lot of good. These guys, these guys, apparently, they tried to make it sound like it was some kind of office argument, they got into an argument at a party, they got into an argument at a party, went home, put on their fatigues, and came back with, with bombs, pipe bombs, and machine guns, you know, that's, that's what I do when I get in an argument at an office party, you know, <laughs> so it's obviously, and they've been to Saudi Arabia, and they've been in touch with, you know, all kinds of um, terrorist uh, subjects and all this stuff, so 
you know, they're trying to cover this up, but the, but the left takes to the airwaves, and Ace of Spades, uh, who does this uh, a really good website, Ace of Spades, points this out, and he says, this is because partly they're just making fun of ordinary people's sentiments, because they're so highly above our ordinary sentiments. We think thoughts and prayers matter, but they know better. They're out there doing the really important work of banning guns so that no one can defend himself. And then Ace of Spades goes on, and I was kind of reading down, and I'd just seen Anthony Jeselnik, and he said, but what really is happening is they're imitating Anthony Jeselnik because he's so sophisticated, and they saw him on Netflix, and they're trying to imitate. Now, I don't know anything about Jeselnik's politics. I'm not saying anything about what he really believes, but his persona is he's playing the worst person on earth. That's the whole point. He comes out and immediately starts making these hellish jokes about being a serial, he makes jokes about being a serial killer, about killing his dates and all this stuff. I mean, he, he's very funny, but he's very dark and sick. So once again, the left is confusing reality and showbiz. They, they just cannot get these two things straight. That the image that this guy puts on, which is, a, I'm sure he goes home and is a lovely person, the image that he puts on his stage is what they are going to actually do. That's how they're going to get us. Boy, they're going to make fun of our thoughts and prayers. So thank you very much. So speaking of getting back to reality, uh, Daniel Henninger has a column in the Wall Street Journal. I'm just going to read little, some snippets of it. But it's called America at Obama's End. Uh, Daniel Henninger is one of their big editorialists in, uh, on the journal. And he says, we are near the end of the seventh year of Barack Obama's presidency, and by any measure, the United States is a fractured nation. This is getting back to reality for a minute. Its people are more divided politically than any time in recent memory. Personally, many are anxious, angry, or just down. Whatever Mr. Obama promised in that famous first inaugural address, any sense of a nation united and raised up is gone. This isn't normal second-term blues. It's a sense of bust. The formal measure of all this appeared last week with the release of a Pew Research poll whose headline message is that trust in government is kaput. In a normal presidential transition year, voters would be excited at the mere prospect of new leadership. Instead, the American people are grasping for straw men. And he talks about Donald Trump and how he's rising in the polls. And he says nearly, and then he says nearly one third of Barack Obama's Democratic Party has migrated to aging socialist Bernie Sanders. So they're going after these crazy people like Trump and Sanders. Black Americans, he said, who expected better live in urban neighborhoods with soaring murder rates. I wonder, could be because we keep demonizing the police who protect them. Angry marchers and confused police were utterly alienated from the people they are supposed to protect. Young black men have the worst job prospects of any group in the U.S. Our political vocabulary is now uniformly stark. Presidential candidates in both parties have built campaigns around income gaps, a struggling middle class, immigrant phobia, war on terror. Hope and change was the promise. What happened? Well, he says, the Iran's Ayatollahs got the Obama message, and that deal is, is Obama's legacy, the nuclear deal that will let them get a nuclear weapon and terrorize the entire world instead of just the people in their region. The other half of the non-domestic le legacy is supposed to be climate change. His appearance in Paris this week was Mr. Obama's last turn on the big global stage, barring a national crisis. Anyone watching the angular figure of the American president making nonstop pleas at the Paris Climate Summit this week had to be struck by a sense of what the French would call tristesse, a melancholy, even pathetic sadness. I'll go for that, pathetic sadness. So all this week, I've been talking about purpose and what the purpose of freedom is because all these people, ISIS has a purpose, Obama has a purpose, you know, what's, what's our purpose? What do we, why do we want people to be free? And obviously, 
it's to some degree the whole point of freedom is it lets you develop your individual purpose. But how do we how do we weaponize that as it were and and make it a national purpose? So I started out the first thing I showed this week was was Kennedy talking about going to the moon in 1962. Famous speech. Just play. I know I played it earlier this week. But play just a snippet of that again, please. But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask. Why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. You know, I, I don't idolize JFK at all. You know, he was, whether he was a good president or a bad president is not the question, but it is amazing when you listen to him. Listen to the, he's, he's telling us we're gonna to go to the moon. Seven years, seven years later, we did it. I mean, we did this impossible thing that, uh, the task he set us under Richard Nixon, we actually succeeded. But listen to the, the confidence of a president who can make jokes about football, who first of all knows what football is, and second of all knows you know, what, what, who Rice plays when they have a, a rival, and just makes that offhand joke in the middle of this like thunderous speech and compare that. Let's take a look at our president, and I know I've been hammering this, but I cannot believe the leaders of the world, while in San Bernardino, California, Muslims are opening fire on innocent civilians, the leaders of the world are gathered together in Paris to battle the sun, to do battle with the sun, okay? They're going to keep the world from warming up. So listen to Obama's speech and compare that to Kennedy's. The growing threat of climate change could define the contours of this century more dramatically than any other. And what should give us hope? That this is a turning point. That this is the moment we finally determined we would save our planet. Is the fact that our nations share a sense of urgency about this challenge and a growing realization that it is within our power to do something about it. Our understanding of the ways human beings disrupt the climate advances by the day. The enemy is man. The enemy is so we compare, you know, Kennedy, we're going to the moon, folks. This is it. And we're doing it because it's there. That's why, because it's hard. That's why we're going to do it. Because we can, because this is who we are. We do stuff like this. We go to the moon. And Obama, it's like, oh, what man has done to this planet. It is, su it is such a shame. It is such a shame what those evil, dirty men have done to this planet. Don't touch anything. Don't use anything. Don't make anything. Don't build anything. It just makes dirt. You know, it's like having one of those horrible mothers who doesn't want you to go outside and play because you'll just get dirty. You know, that's what he's like. He's like, don't go. It's, it's just all there's all that dirt out there. Don't don't touch that. It's dirty. You know, you just ruin things. You ruin. Let me be clear about how I feel about this. <laughs> <laughs> 
screw the earth, okay? Screw the earth. When people say save the earth, I just want you to know, screw the earth. <laughs> the earth is a piece of rock. It is a piece of rock floating in nothingness. It is going down the drain into the sun. We call it an orbit. That's a euphemism. An orbit is when you go around something. The earth is going around like the water in the toilet goes around after you flush it. It's falling into the sun. It's gone, baby, gone. It's not here for long, and it's just, that's all it is, a rock. The, there's one interesting thing about this rock. There's one interesting thing about this rock. It supports life. It has the, the qualities that support life, which, by the way, is so incredibly, amazingly unlikely that if there were no God, it couldn't happen, okay? No sci the scientists have to make up reasons why this could happen. If there were no God, it couldn't, but it does. The Earth supports life. And the thing about life is there is just one important thing about life. There's exactly one important thing about life, and that is the mind of man. That is the only important thing about life. And if you think, oh, what about the beauty of the eagle? What about the grace of the gazelle? There is no, the eagle has no beauty. It's in the mind of man. The grace of gazelle is in the mind of man. The speed of the leopard is in the mind of man. Without, without the mind of man, the leopard is just an eating machine. That's all it is. It just happens to be here. It's the mind of man that transforms everything into beauty and grace and speed and any quality that is not meat. Any quality that is not wood and meat and stone and rock is in your head. And you can say, well, it's in the head of God, too, and that's true, but here on Earth, God's work is truly our own. The people who are perceiving things are us, okay? There's only one interesting thing about the world, and that's us and our minds and our perception of it and what we see. And so that led me to think that all this week I've been kind of looking at all these different things, these shootings, uh, you know, what else, the, the guys in, in Paris doing this crazy make-believe kabuki dance about saving the world. And yesterday I was listening to Shapiro's show, but I may have been a day behind. I think I was a day behind. I was listening to him talk about uh, movies that were all about transgender, and that's true. All the all the kind of classy Oscar bait movies this year are either about transgender, like uh, he was talking about the the Danish girl, or they're about lesbians. A lot of lesbian stories and gays and all this stuff. I was thinking all this stuff kind of gets comes together under one heading. It is mankind's attempt to impose his mind on this uncaring world to impose his values on this uncaring world. And I think that's what all of us are doing. Every single one of us is doing. This is like the task we've been assigned. That's what Obama is doing. He is trying to lie the world, fantasize the world into this image of heroism he has in his mind, okay? Obama is a little man, you know. He is a, a little man who was told he was a big man because we wanted to purge ourselves of our racist past. He came along, he had a good line of patter in, you know, hope and change nonsense. I mean, anybody who voted for hope and change has to be a moron, but it was a good line. When he started out, he was not this sad little whiny guy that we see now. He had that thunderous thing. Remember, the, the tides were going to turn back, the ocean was going to recede. So, you know, Obama is a little man pretending he's a big man who's been told he's a big man by the world and who's narcissist enough to buy into it. And this entire conference is his attempt to turn the world into his imagination. That's what we're all trying to do. Every 
single one of us. That's what ISIS is trying to do. And these guys in San Bernardino, when they kill people, they're trying to turn the world into their imagination, to impose their imagination on the world by getting rid of all the people they don't like. And that's what these gay and, you know, the LGBT, LMNOP, QRST people, you know, are all trying to do with these films. They're trying to rewrite, Hollywood is trying to, and the left is trying to rewrite reality so that men are not men and women are not, you know. Again, I, I always want to emphasize that this is not an attack on gay people or even transgender people, who I think are, by the way, a different category. I think transgender people, I don't know what causes transgenderism. I don't know if it's a mental disorder or a physical disorder or sometimes one or sometimes the other. I don't know. But I know I don't care, okay? I do not care if a guy wants to put on a dress and call himself a woman. What I do resent is being told how I have to see reality, what, how I, that I have to describe reality as different from what I see it to be. A guy in a dress is a guy in a dress. Okay, so that's 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 all I ask is be, to be allowed to, to uh, describe reality. As for gay people, again, I've worked with them and been friends with them all my life, and I won't say to you, oh, they're the best people on earth. They're just like other people. They're, you know, they're good ones, bad ones. They're just like other people. You know, so I have, and I have. This is not a, about them. But you know. This happened once before when uh, this, this kind of upsurge of, of gay films and stories. When I lived in London in the 90s, there was, I'm a, a big theater fan. My wife and I both love the theater. We would, I, I think both, I think speaking for her, we would both rather see a bad play than a good movie. And, and, and London is the theater capital of the English-speaking world. It is just the greatest theater. You could go every week and see a great performance or a great play. And there was one season where every play, and I'm talking about maybe five new plays, and there aren't that many new plays a year, Every play was about gay people, and it was just after the AIDS crisis, so that was kind of, you know, burbling up, and there's a lot of gays in the theater anyway, and so that was kind of burbling up in the imagination. So we went to one. We went to one of these plays. And it was interesting, because it was a world we know nothing about, and, you know, we kind of saw the inside of this, this community being torn apart by AIDS, and it was very interesting. And, you know, we just looked at each other and said, okay, now we've seen our gay play, and we're not going to see another. And I, and I made this remark to a good buddy of mine who was gay. He was an editor of mine back in the States. And I said, one is enough. And he was furious. You know, he's absolutely, you know, he had to retreat to his, if they had had safe spaces back then, he would have retreated to his safe space. He was very offended. And I said to him, you know, the thing about it is, a story about gay people is, is human, and that makes it interesting. But there's something about a story about a man and a woman that is essential. When you watch a rom-com, and I can't stand romantic comedies, but when you see a romantic comedy and a guy and a girl get in a, a spat, and we wonder if they're going to get together again. You're watching the future of the world being debated, okay? You're watching whether the world is going to continue. That's why we watch those stories. That's why that story is important. It's essential. It's essential that men and women get together and have children. And so when you watch these two people debating, you are watching something that affects you. The same thing is true when you watch an action picture and you find out whether a man is brave or not. Because the two things that matter in life, the two things that matter about the future, that cause the future, is whether women are protective, are loving, and men are brave. That's it. That's the, the only, those are the essential things. If women are loving and men are brave, the world will continue. If women are not loving and men are not brave, the world is finished. Civilization is finished. So whenever you see a spat in a movie, you know, you are watching an important moment. Whenever you see a war, a battle scene, or a, a guy go off to war, that's why su female superhero movies usually don't make it. Because there are plenty of brave women, that's, but it's not essential. It's not essential for women to be brave. It's essential for men to be brave. So these, these gay stories come and the, they, they push them on us, too many of them on us, and you get bored. I mean, I'm, I'm not that interested 
uh, in seeing uh, a les this, this lesbian movie that's coming out with, I think it's Kate Blanchett. I, I just don't care. You know, it's just, it just doesn't grab me the way these other stories do. And there may be a good one, and then I'll go. If there's a great one, then I'll go. But it's just, in general, the topic is not as fascinating. <laughs> I did a... Just to see if this is on topic or not. It just just came into my mind. But uh, you know, I, a long time ago, I did work with Sally Field. I did a screenplay with Sally Field. She liked one of my books, and she wanted me to adapt it and change the male hero into a female hero, or up up the level of one of the female people. Lovely person, really nice person. Like like a lot of these movie stars, she was really good at, at doing movie star. You know, she was really good at having lunch and talking about the project and all this stuff. While I was working for her, Steel Magnolias came out. And so I thought, well, I have to go see it. It's her big movie, and I'm working for her, you know. So I went to the movie, and it, it, for me, I, I hear it's a good movie. For me, it was like having a drill in the center of my head, just, you know, this is this story about strong women doing it. And I was in a multiplex, and next door, this great war movie, Glory, was playing. And so I watched the entire Steel Magnolias with my ear pressed to the theater wall, listening to Glory, so I could hear the war. Those are the essential stories, whether women are loving or men are brave. And, and though, depending on whether you're a woman or man, you're probably a little bit more interested in, the, in that story. So all these people are trying to impose their imaginations on the world, and so are we. And the question becomes, how, you know, how do we know? How do we know what to do? And, you know, Obama's doing it through lies. ISIS is doing it through violence. The LGBT people are doing it through this complete kooky, you know, egotistical fantasy in, what, in which their sexual predilections, and we all have sexual predilections, their sexual predilections become somehow more essential than in fact they are. But it's an important thing to do because the world gets better as we impose ourselves on it, okay? I was just looking at this thing, a guy named Max Roser uh, writes a website called Our World in Data, and he has this series of charts about the level of violence through history, and he sums it up by saying the levels of violence in prehistoric times through archeological evidence and in non-state societies through ethnographic evidence was much higher than in modern state societies and in the world today. This is what the data tells us. So think about that for a minute, okay? We just came off a century in which the communists killed, I think, 100 million people. The Nazis killed 60 million people. This is one century, right? Atheist communism and pagan Nazism in one century slaughtered more people than any religion has ever slaughtered through all the history of humankind in one century. And yet, and yet, Modern states are still less violent than primitive states and non-states. So things get, are getting, actually getting better. And if you look around, when, you know, I, I read uh, a piece, I, I guess it was on the Daily uh, Wires on our site, of Governor Jerry Brown saying, oh, mankind has created these devastating technologies. That's why we have to fly off. He was flying off to Paris, you know, to help with the fight the sun, you know, and he was going out there, you know, to help save the earth. It's like I thought, devastating technologies, you know. It's all about technology. These guys want to stop the world and get off, you know. William F. Buckley, Buckley used to say that Conservatism was, at, was standing athwart the future and yelling stop. And the reason he said that was because intellectuals were saying of the Soviet Union, we have seen the future and it works. And Buckley was saying, we have seen the future, stop, okay? He was talking about communism. He wasn't talking about the real future, which is what these guys are talking about. So how do we impose the world? 
And the, how do we impose ourselves on the world? And I've been talking a lot about the fact and thinking a lot about the fact that we're shaped by our relationship with God. Our civilization is shaped by its relationship with God, whether you are a Christian or not. If you believe in, in liberty, if you believe in the rights of man, you get that belief through a Christian society that carried within it, that, that carried within it the pagan society, the Greek and Roman society, that started to develop those ideas in tandem with the Jewish society. And it was all kind of came together in the figure of Jesus and in the church, which, which contained like, a, like an egg containing that stuff, so that when the tribes of Europe became civilized, they could open that egg and start to, and start to realize in real terms the rights of man. If you believe in any of that stuff, you were shaped by a religion. You were shaped by the religion of Christianity. That's who you are, okay? So the other day I was listening to a book by David Limbaugh, Russia's brother, who is a great guy. I met him once, but I just know a lot of people who know him. He's a terrific guy. And the book is really smart. It was called uh, Jesus on Trial. It was a really smart book, and I disagreed with it almost entirely, okay? One of Limbaugh's big points is that there can't have been evolution, and the, the, evolution can't both be true, and the Bible can't both be true. And I just disagree with that entirely. And he makes his case. I'm not a I'm not a literal reader of the Bible because I'm not a literal reader of anything. Language is always a metaphor, and I believe that the Bible is written in genres. You know, there are genres like mystery stories are a genre that I write in. Horror stories are a genre. Legend is a genre. Uh, myth is a genre. History is a genre, and there are all those things in the Bible because the Bible covers the entire depth of truth, and no one genre can do this. We know this. I mean, Jesus talks in parables. Nobody says of Jesus when he says, there was a man who had two sons. Nobody thinks, well, what was his name? Where did he live? You know, he, He's telling a story. You know, he's telling a story. And the reason he's telling a story is because only a story can contain the in, inner life of man. Only the story can describe the inner life of man, and that's what he's talking about. Okay. So I was thinking, well, what if we took a totally different tack? You know? Nature, which is what we're trying to impose our imagination on, nature has a system for developing life. It's called natural selection, okay? And natural selection is very simple. Every child that you have is a little different than every other child, and he's a little different than you. And some of them have traits that help him live, and some of them have traits that don't help him live, and nature kills the ones who don't have good traits, and the other ones survive. And so you develop more of those traits. If you're a giraffe and you have a short neck, you die because the leaves are way up there. If you have a longer neck, you live and you pass your genes on and the next generation has a longer neck. And that's, that's it, you know. And people call this a, a random system, but we have no way of knowing whether it's random or not. We're in the system, so you can't tell whether it's random or not. Whenever I hear these atheists saying, well, it's random, that's how we know there's no God. You go, dude, you're inside the system. You can't, you have to be outside the system to see whether it's random or not. There could be a guy like pulling switches. He could be up there like, you know, bang, boom, hey, I'm killing that one. You know, it could be, it could be that, that well planned, you know. So, so, but that's the way the system works. Now, what if we took that, and we then just assumed for a minute, but let's, let's have full belief here. Let's believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And so he knew all about evolution. He knew all about evolution. How does that change what he was saying? Think about the Sermon on the Mount for a minute. You know, blessed are the meek, for the meek shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall have mercy. Blessed are those who mourn. It's the exact opposite of evolution. It's the exact opposite of evolution. It's the weak become powerful, the meek become powerful. And if you ever think about this, 
it's all written in the passive tense. It's all written in the passive voice. It's not God shall the, give the earth to the meek. The meek will inherit the earth. It's all written in the passive voice. As if it were just a system that happens. It's as if there was, was another system, as if evolution were a big circle going this way and the spirit were a big circle going that way. Okay, And I think... Whether you believe in this or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, it does give you a picture of how the world is meant to be, that we are supposed to first move closer to that image of God that's in us. Okay? God, man was made in God's image, and we lost that, right? We've, we've broken that. We're supposed to move, we're supposed to lay aside our dreams of being a hero, our, our egotistical fantasies that Obama has. We're supposed to lay aside our sexual predilections. Like I said, we all have, who cares what your sexual predilection is? You think, you think your sexual predilection does one damn thing to the earth, to the world? It doesn't do a damn thing. Enjoy yourself. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. But it doesn't do a damn thing. You know, We're supposed to develop toward this other sense of ourselves as a spirit, as a merciful spirit, and then we're supposed to conquer the world. And when I say conquer the world, that's exactly what I mean. I'm talking about we're supposed to go out and take over worlds unknown, take over countries where they're doing nothing, and build the world that we see in that, that merciful, loving image, right? It was a terrible thing when they betrayed the Native Americans and broke treaties with them and massacred them. But it didn't have to be that way for us to take the continent and build the stuff we build. Better a continent with iPhones and skyscrapers than a continent of savagery. The world gets better as we make it more like ourselves. You can't do it by lying. What Obama does is not going to change a single damn thing. And let me tell you something. The earth doesn't belong to these Islamists. It belongs to us. It doesn't belong to them. It belongs to us. We have to stop them because it belongs to us. It doesn't belong to these guys in France saying, don't do anything. It belongs to us. It belongs to the people who are going to Mars, who are building you know, civilizations on Mars. This is our job. Our job is to, make our, is to move toward the image of God within ourselves and then move the earth toward the image of us as we're supposed to be. That's our job. That's our purpose. And we, we have to do it with it. The earth belongs to explorers and missionaries and pioneers. It belongs to the people who are going to preach this message. It belongs to the people who are going to go to the places where no one's gone before. And it belongs to the people who are going to build civilizations that don't exist. Okay? It does not belong to these killers. It does not belong to these liars. And God bless the LGBT people, but it doesn't belong to their fantasies. Okay? It can belong. To, they can come along and they can build the world with all the rest of us, but it doesn't belong to their fantasies of being a woman or a man. They are what they are. Reality cannot be lied out of existence, but it can be rebuilt in our image if we make our image closer to the image of God. Merry Christmas. Christmas stuff I like. <laughs> uh, I like to end the week with music all the time, and I, I may just do the pentatonics all <laughs> Christmas long. I love these guys. They are so good. This is an a cappella group. It's five people, right? Is it five, five of them? Oh, there they are. Five, five of them. And, and they have great uh, Christmas music. I don't know if I'll do them all week long, but let's end the week with this. Have a great weekend. It's been good talking to you. We'll talk about more stuff next week. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. Here are the Pentatonics singing us into the weekend. Joy to the world. Joy.